I want to read the scriptures to you this evening from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I've been listening to Lucy Marr, these words have been coming to me. I'd really come thinking of speaking of something else. But listen to these words of the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our God was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, Unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. May God bless to us this reading from his sacred word. I remember meeting a new convert many years ago, and uh, he, his life had been completely transformed. And I said to him, I said, tell me, are you happy as a Christian? He said, Victor, I'm so happy that if I was a cow, I would moo all day. And that's just how happy he was. He was, ex he was expressing that, that gratitude for what God has done. And for all of us who know Christ the Savior, that must be the attitude that we have this evening. We look back and we thank God for all that God has done. That's exactly what we say this evening and how we feel when we look back on the transformed life of Lucy Marr and the life that has been used to the glory of God. It is said of Gypsy Smith on one occasion that when people met him, he was still in his 70s. He had been converted when he was 17 years of age, but now in his 70s, he was still filled with joy and song. And someone said to him, why is it you keep so excited about conversion? He says, I've never got over the thrill of being saved. My friend, can I say that was true of the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul constantly in his letters was looking back and thanking God for the grace of God that was in him. And can I say in this missionary meeting this evening, when we look back on the history of Acre Gospel Mission and what God has done and what God is doing today in Brazil and in Portugal and in Lanzarote, we thank God for the great ministry of the gospel. As a matter of fact, as I listened to Lucy Marr this evening, uh, she is only one, but if we were to take all of our Brazilian workers, especially those in the northeast of Brazil, and Lucy and Tom know this, just about every day we're receiving word and photographs and reports of how God is blessing them. The northeast of Brazil was known for its Mariality, for its dedication to Mary, and some of our our evangelists from former years remember the days when churches were torched in flame and, and believers were stoned. 
As a matter of fact, one of our former evangelists, he used to stone the, the Christians until the Lord saved them and changed them. And as I've said, if, if I could bring some, uh, I think about 21 other Brazilian workers and bring them here this evening and just let them do what Lucy has done and tell what God is doing. My friend, it represents what God is doing in the great ministry. In this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul was looking back and he was thanking God. First of all, he says these words, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, counting me faithful and putting me into the ministry. He was thankful for the ministry of the gospel that was committed to his trust. And can we say on behalf of Acre Gospel Mission, that's exactly where we stand this evening. We thank God for this great ministry of reconciliation, taking Christ to the nations. We have no other message. We have no other person to talk about. It is taking the Lord Jesus to the nations. Can I say the work of Acre Gospel Mission did not begin as a, as a mission when Mr. and Mrs. McComb, they had already been in Brazil. William McComb went to Brazil in 1926. But while he was in Brazil in the mid-30s, he heard about this place called Acre. Acre is the most westerly state in the whole of Brazil. It starts at more than 2,500 miles up the Amazon and bulges into Colombia and Peru and Bolivia, and that's where it is. But when Willie was with the Guajuarai Indians on the river P Pindaray uh, in Pará, which is at the mouth of the Amazon, uh, he was visiting Manaus when he met culpiters from the British, British and Foreign Bible Society. They told him of the need that was in the Acre, people hungry for the gospel. They had left scriptures, but there were no missionaries. And Willie McComb felt that God was calling him to that work. He went to this mission, the UFM, and shared with them the burden that he had. But they felt it was too far away for them to administer, and they couldn't agree to going there. So Willie stepped down from the mission. He came home. He challenged people to pray for him and Mrs. McComb as they would go back to Brazil to this place called Acre. At that time, Molly Harvey was a, a nurse and a midwife, and she felt God was calling her also. And so it was that she volunteered to go with them. But they wisely felt that she should have a medical. When Molly Harvey went to the, the doctor for the medical, uh, he, he listened to Molly's heart and he said, Molly, you have a, a murmur at your heart and I would advise you not to go to the Amazon. They call it the green hell of the Amazon. You wouldn't survive there for more than a year. Don't go. Molly was disappointed and a little bit confused because she felt God was calling her. So she went to another doctor for a second opinion. The second doctor said the same as the first doctor. She went to the third, the fourth, and the fifth, five doctors. They all said to Molly, don't go. You wouldn't last for more than a year. It's a very hostile climate and, and you just would not survive. Molly did go. She survived not for a year, but for more than 30 years. When Molly came home, all the doctors were dead, and Molly lived in 92. And, uh, and it teaches us what the Apostle Paul said, it is better to obey God than man. And so they went to Brazil not to find a mission, but just an obedience to God. They left in 1937, and Mr. and Mrs. McComb left behind a four-year-old daughter, Arnie. 
They, they said, we'll leave Arine, and when we get back in three years' time, she'll only be seven. I said that was in 1937, but alas, in 1939, world war broke out, and the McCombs were not able to get home. They were not able to get home to 1946, and when they got home, their little four-year-old girl was now a 13-year-old young woman, and that was a big burden to bear back in those days. When war broke out, not only were they separated from family, but another difficulty arose in that because of the restrictions of war, the supporters and friends at home couldn't send money to individuals in Brazil. And so some of the supporters went to the Northern Bank in Belfast and met a Mr. Ardell. And Mr. Ardell said to them, listen, you can't, you can't send money out to Brazil unless they have a mission. But he says, why don't we just start a mission? We'll, we'll start a mission so we can send money out. Where is he working? They said, a place called Acre. Well, the bank manager said, well, let's just put it on account in the name of Acre. Acre Gospel Mission. And that was the beginning of the work. It was formed in, a, in the Northern Bank just for the convenience of sending money. And so from 1940 to 1945, 1946, now broken in health, Mr. and Mrs. McComb, Miss Harvey, came home, and that was the end of Acre Gospel Mission. So they thought. But Molly Harvey in 1947-48 felt that she should go back again. And so in 1948, Molly Harvey went back to Brazil on her own. She was the Acre Gospel Mission. On the following year, James and Dory Gunning then went, and then a young man from Dundonald, Jack Finley, went, and and then after that, an English couple joined him. And after that, Fred Orr and his wife. And since then, why, God has been building to the work. And we thank God for the, the testimony of the gospel. We're looking back, and we thank God for the ministry of the gospel. That ministry, a number of years ago, branched out into Portugal. His Skimmon was home from, from Brazil, and because of health, she wasn't able to return so quickly, so she was invited to Portugal. And when she was there, she was really hoping to go to the, the islands, the Portuguese islands, but it didn't work out. But she met up with a, a pastor, and the pastor said, listen, why don't, why don't you think of missionaries coming here? We had two missionaries who were planning to go to Brazil, Stephen and Hedy Smith, but uh, Brazil was closed. Visas were impossible to get. And so they felt that to learn Portuguese, they would go to Portugal. And they went to Portugal to study Portuguese, but when they got there and saw the, the opportunities and the needs for the gospel in Portugal, they stayed there. As a result, why we thank God today that in Santo André, in, uh, just south of Lisbon, we have a work there today with Aroldo and Emanuela Areas and Jeff Ferguson, who comes from Cookstown. He's there, soon to be married to Mariana. And then down there in the Algarve, we thank God for the work of the International Church, where Mark and Judith Loney are, and uh, uh, an Irish guy by the name of Barry, his wife, Hakel, who is Portuguese, they're working there, and, and then Glenn Bowden. And we thank God for the great ministry that they have there. As a matter of fact, just coming to this meeting tonight, we got a, a photograph, uh, a WhatsApp photograph sent to us of the meeting this afternoon, where the Portuguese church was absolutely packed people coming in to hear the gospel. And so we thank God. Over the summer, they had camps. And last year at the camp, 
why 65 young people trusted Christ as Savior, and this is the ongoing ministry of the gospel. We thank God for the ministry. That's what Paul said. Paul not only was looking back and thanking God for the ministry committed to him, but he thanked God for the miracle that happened in him. Says the Apostle Paul, listen to these words. He said, I who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious to the church of Christ, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of God was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. My friend, can I say every conversion is a miracle of grace? Not only the apostle on the road to, uh, to Damascus, but a nine-year-old girl that day at the beach in Tarawaka, I say the beach, the riverside in Tarawaka. As a matter of fact, as we look back in those days, and I remember those meetings way back in 1968, in November of that year, we had a week of meetings. During that week of meetings, a, a young girl by the name of Eolanda trusted Christ the Savior. For Eolanda, at 16 years of age, to go home and tell her mother that she had become a Christian was quite an embarrassment. Her mother had been a prostitute. Uh, I say a home. It was really a, a hovel of a house built on stilts over a swamp. They lived in terrible poverty. And to be a prostitute sounds so, so bad, but it was the only way that Maria, the mother, could earn money to feed her three children. And, and so she sold her body on the streets of the town. Can you imagine the girl arriving telling the mother I'd become a Christian? And then praying for the mother, inviting her to the meetings. Maria, Maria Espanol is her name. She came to the meetings. And uh, one night when Tom and Ethel were there, thank God Maria Espanol, the mother of the 16-year-old girl, trusted Christ the Savior. Having been a prostitute, she couldn't go back to that life. So Ethel said, Tom, we've got to get her a job. Get her a job in the hospital. And so Tom provided a job as a washerwoman in the hospital. It was a very hard job. It is not with washing machines, rather big aluminium pots in which they were boiling all of the whites out there in the hot sun, stirring them every day over an open fire. But Maria, her life was changed. Working by day at the meetings by night, a Bible in her hand, reading haltingly, but that was the life of Maria Espanol. After two years, she got a, a different job. She, she then became a cook in the kitchen. Now, we shouldn't think of any fancy hospital. It was an old wooden building with 13 beds. There were more holes in the floor than there were in the walls. A lot of the wood was rotting and watermarks down everywhere. And for the kitchen, think not well of a, of a fancy kitchen. I remember at night time when I would go down with Tom, we used to take two revolvers with us. And when we opened the door, why, we would shoot at the rats, rats all over the place. And, and that's the state of the hospital back in those days. That's just how it was. However, one day Tom came home and said to Ethel, we, we need a new nurse. And one of the nurses was leaving. And Ethel said, what about Maria becoming a nurse? And Tom said, Maria, Maria can't count. Ethel said, I'll teach her to count. And so it was. Ethel took Maria every night and taught her how to count in Portuguese. Um, dois, tres, quatro, cinco. I mean, just elementary, rudimentary education. When she got to one, um, dois, tres, what comes after, what comes after? And Ethel smacked her wrist and said, four, four, five. And within a month, Maria learned how to count. And she became a nurse. 
Can you imagine a nurse that can't take the pulse because she can't count? <laughs> Mary had to learn quickly, and, and she, but I don't think you would want Mary to be your nurse. I remember one day Tom had finished an operation, and he had done a skin graft on a fellow who had a snake bite. And uh, he said to me, keep an eye on him that when he's coming out of the anesthetic, that he doesn't go down to his leg and disturb the wound, the, the, the skin graft. And so I watched him for about 15 minutes, and the fellow was quite drowsy coming round again. And then Tom said, come on quickly, it's time for the next operation. I said, what about the man? Get Maria to look after him. Well, Maria actually was taller than me, and when I said to Maria, this man, watch him, that when he comes out of the anesthetic, he doesn't touch the wound, etc. Just keep him calm. So Tom delayed a little bit, and I watched Maria from a distance, and she stood over him with her arms folded in her white gowns and looking down at him. And when the man stirred and lifted his head, Maria just looked at him and took her fist and clouded him right on the top of the head, and that put the man out again. So I don't think you would want Maria at your hospital. I remember another day, a man who'd been hidden in the jungle for, for uh, six months after a, uh, a fight in which he was shot in the back of his leg. His leg was doubled up so much so that between the ball and the leg and the thigh, a web of skin had been there and, and hidden in the forest, during which time, in their superstition, they'll not put water near the body. They wouldn't wash the man. Can you imagine a man coming into hospital and he hasn't, hasn't been washed for six months? first law of the hospital is that he must be washed. And so Maria was the nurse on duty that particular day. And I remember I was down in the hospital in the afternoon, and I, I looked in and I saw Maria. She had a room on her own, and she had the poor man sitting on a stool, excuse me, saying on a Sunday evening, in his birthday suit. And she was taking these five-gallon tins of water and just pouring them all over the man's head. He, he just looked like a drowned rat. And then she'd take another five gallon. Uh, later on that night, I went down with Tom, Tom doing a, a ward round of his patients at nine o'clock at night. And the poor man was sitting shivering on the top of his bed. And Tom said, what's, what's wrong with you? She said, he said, it was that nurse. She nearly drowned me with tins of water. And when she couldn't get the dirt off, she took Brillo pads, and she Brillo padded me from, from my head right down to my foot. Well, you can imagine how the poor... You wouldn't want the nurse like that. One day, Tom came home and said to Ethel, we need a midwife. <laughs> Ethel said, what about Maria? Maria? Well, Ethel got away, and Maria became a midwife. As a matter of fact, as Tom would tell you, she became the best midwife in town, and that was a complete miracle. When Tom left in 1985-86, left Tarawaka, Maria was the best midwife in town, and a year later she left the hospital, and now she'd got a lovely little house. And at the back of the house she made a little antenatal clinic, and the ladies of the town, the richer families of the town, sent their wives and their daughters to Mary's antenatal clinic, where many babies were born. Mary worked there as a midwife. When Mary retired at 65, she closed the clinic, and that became a prayer room. And where babies had been born, I thank God, some people were born again. I tell all that because we're speaking of the miracle of God's salvation. About five years ago, I was back in Tarawaka. I should say that Mary Spain, as her name was, died about eight years ago. I was back in Tarawaka five years ago, and walking through the town where 
one of our daughters was born in the town and where we'd lived with Tom and Ethel for quite a while, I came across this brand new clinic built by the government. And there above the clinic, it puts this word, this family clinic is dedicated to the memory of Maria Espanol. Isn't that amazing? A woman who'd been a prostitute on the streets of the town, known for that, that, that life of debauchery, but now changed by the grace of God and made useful in the town. I'll tell you this, my friend. Thank God for the miracle of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. The apostle Paul, thankful for the ministry committed to him, thankful for the miracle that happened in him, thankful for the message. Listen to the message he had. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. My friend, for many years, thank God, we have had the opportunity of traveling those rivers, visiting towns, and just giving that simple message. We're not telling them about a church, a Baptist church, or any other church. We're telling them about Jesus, the only way of salvation. The Apostle Paul, when he, when he spoke of this message, he indicated that he needed it. Why? Because he said, I was the chief of sinners. My friend, can I say that's exactly how we are this evening? Lucy Marr said it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul not only needed it, he said he had proved it. This is a faithful saying. My friend, his life had been changed when? When he met Christ, he cried out and said, Who art thou, Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? And thank God that day his life was absolutely turned around. Can I say that can happen to you tonight? I look back and I thank God for the day I trusted Christ. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. On thee, my Savior and my God, well may this glowing heart rejoice to spread his raptures all abroad. Paul said, I needed it. I was the chief of sinners. I, I've proved it. It's a faithful saying. I recommend it. It's worthy of all acceptation. My friend, tonight, can I say that you also? It's not just taking the gospel to people in distant lands. But people around us rub shoulders with them every day. People need the Lord. The Apostle Paul, thankful for the ministry committed to him, the miracle that happened in him, the message that was given to him. Now he says, thank God for the melody. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a day heaven's going to be. I remember one day with Geraldo, Lucy Marr lived in Labria, and one of the, the dear saints of Labria was called Geraldo. He had a hard life because he had leprosy. He lived outside the town in a little clearing in the forest. We used to go there on a Sunday afternoon to, to do a meeting, and Geraldo would sit in his he had, his, he had a big boot on his foot because he didn't have proper feet because of leprosy that had uh, eroded his feet. Because of leprosy, why, he, he couldn't use his hands. They had what they call claw hammer hands. But I remember him one day grabbing the Bible and he said, when you go to your country, will you, will you thank the people? Thank the people for sending Bibles. Thank the people for sending you missionaries. 
Thank the people who sent James and Dory Gunning who helped me get medicine for my leprosy. And please tell them in your country, I'll never see them here. But one day in the tabernacles of glory, I'll greet them with a good Brazilian hat. <laughs> Unto the King Eternal. What a day that's going to be when they will come from every tribe and nation and tongue. And they'll gather around the throne and we will worship the Lamb. We thank God for the great message of the gospel. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father tonight, how we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Savior. We thank you for the miracle of the gospel that happened in each one who knows Christ as personal Savior. Our Lord, we do pray that you'll remember others in our gathering who perhaps are out of Christ, still in their sins, still in their darkness, still without God and without hope. Our Father, we pray that even this night you will bring them to trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Now, our Father, bless us, we pray, and, and be with us as we have fuller fellowship, we ask. For these things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake.